Good morning. My name is uh, Roger Lewis, and uh, it's great to see you here. I can see a lot of people, a lot of uh, known faces, some new faces. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, welcome. Uh, so in a moment, I'll be speaking on that passage we just heard read. Thanks, Hannah. Uh, Romans 12, love over morning tea. Uh, but before that, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, by your Spirit, help us to love you with all that we are. Help us to love our neighbours as ourselves. This we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, I caught up with a friend that I hadn't seen for many years, and we used to go to uh, church together back in the day when I was at another place at another time, when, I was, when we were both in high school, and I was asking her how the church was, and she was saying that it had been going along, and um, she was actually a member of parish council, and she said that the parish council spent most of their time uh, discussing coffee. And so, uh, she, so uh, you know, meeting after meeting, it was should we have coffee here, there, should it be you know hot, cold, uh, and so much so, all the time of parish council debating coffee, she proposed that they take the cross off the church and replace it with a big coffee pot. <laughs> so, so it seemed like you know the coffee was the most important thing in that church, and uh, I don't want to give you the impression that coffee is the most important thing in this church. But we are talking about coffee or about morning tea today. Now, it is important, I acknowledge that, because as I was coming in, I saw someone with a, a, a coffee club cup. Is there one up the back there? A coffee club cup. I don't know if anyone else has got it. A few other people came in with some from um, Hungry Jacks. Anyone want to confess they're Hungry Jacks? Just be proud. You can put them in the air. Look there. I think there's some teas there as well. Uh, are there any others? So, I mean, some people, you know, Let's face it, not embarrassing those guys, but can't even walk into church without their coffee. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a security, but it's important. Okay, it is controversial. You know, coffee is controversial. And so I went to a meeting uh, not that long ago, actually, 23rd of July, so it's a hot topic, not far from here. And uh, it was about morning tea, what to do about morning tea. So very, um, very topical. And I have to say, there are at least two schools of thought. There was one school of thought which was, well, uh, you know, morning tea, I think, is possibly a British idea. It's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, a cup of tea, maybe it's had by uh, King Charles and so on with cucumber sandwiches. And, uh, you know, if King Charles was visiting you, you'd put on a big spread. You'd do your best, you know. And, well, here we're serving God, the, the King of Kings. You want to make, if you're doing morning tea, you want to do it really well. That's, you might say, the high tea view. That's, that's, that's one view. And there was another view, sort of, well, oh, it's not really about that. We're, we're all friends here. Jesus is a friend of mine. It's like, you know, you just have a, a Arnott's biscuit. It doesn't even have to be cream biscuit. It could just be a plain biscuit, you know. Wash it down with some international roast or Pablo. You know, what does it matter? Um, that, that's uh, not what we're here for. You know, it's just, um, so, uh, you know, there's controversy. There's, there's different views. What should we do at morning tea? Um, and at a church I used to go to, uh, there was a gentleman, Norm, I don't think Norm's listening, but um, when he was on morning tea, he used to make a cream cheese slice and they'd put the raspberry jelly on top. And he used to use, put it in the refrigerator and use a spirit level to make sure that the raspberry jelly was good. But on the other hand, you know, there are some people as to say, uh, just a, an honest biscuit might not even have to be fresh, you know, that's fine, you know. In them days, we'd have been glad to have a price of a cup of tea. This is a Yorkshire view, okay? A cup of cold tea, without milk or sugar. 
or T. Okay, so you know, so it's very important in one way, but another way it's not really important at all. And it's a bit like music. And I've got to say, you may know there are people here who like to come at 10 a.m. because they don't like the music at 8 a.m. Okay, like, you know, you might be able to relate to that. But I just tell you this: you may not believe this, but somebody at 8 a.m. told me they went to 8 a.m. because they preferred the music at 8 a.m. So you know, can you understand that? Okay, it's a bit hard to understand, but there are these range range of views, and people can get upset about coffee. Uh, even whether it should be coffee. In the booklet, the sentence called Love Over Coffee, here it says Love Over Morning Tea. And I know there are some tea drinkers who wouldn't touch coffee and vice versa. Uh, American Ted Lasso describes tea as hot brown water. How does he take his tea? I usually take it right back to the counter because someone's made a terrible mistake. So it, it can be a, a topic that uh, causes uh, uh, lots of different views. And so I want to point out, uh, while you might be getting hot under the collar, some of the things I've said, I hope I haven't offended you too much. I've sort of tried to offend everyone, but I hope I haven't offended you too much. But we as a church are not principally about coffee, you know. So we're here about Jesus. So it does say they're more love over morning tea, but more importantly here it says to know Christ and make Christ known. That's a week after week, week after week, this is what St. Nick's is about, um, knowing Christ and making Christ known. And so how can we um, serve Christ when it comes to morning tea? And uh, I want to say as well, as an individual, this is what distinguishes someone as a Christian who has at the top of their queue, at the top of their life, um, Christ rather than anything else. So some people, as I say, live for coffee. They can't exist without coffee. Uh, some people like tea. Some people have fixated going a bit more broadly in what they put in their mouth, in their, in their diet, and having exactly the right, the right number of calories or exactly the right um, paleo, uh, whatever, vegan, uh, carnivore uh, diet. Uh, some people are very concerned about their health, their fitness, their well-being, uh, getting tests. Some people are very concerned about their relationships, their families. Others people are very concerned about their achievements, their occupation. Uh, or perhaps your financial position is something that you spend a lot of time thinking about, or your sexuality, or your identity, or you're an activist, you're involved in political uh, issues. Or is Christ the thing that is top of your list, the top thing in your life? And so a Christian is simply someone who has Christ there, if you like, at the top of their church, top of their building, uh, that is their priority. Okay, so I want to make it clear this church is about Christ, the sermon is about Christ, but I'm going to mention um, coffee in between. Okay, so we're working through uh, a little booklet here called Six Steps to Loving Your Church, and uh, the steps have been you might say the most literal steps. The first one was about stepping into the church. How do you prepare as you come to church before you come across the threshold and step into church? And then there are a couple of uh, messages about being in church, if you like, or how we interact in church. Uh, what's your um, sermon face? You know, do you glaze over when you're listening to a sermon? That sort of thing. So what do you do when you're in church? And then today, what happens when you step outside the building? And uh, there are two more uh, coming up next week and the week after. So we're talking about this step when we step outside the building. So, you know, this is church, we're in church now, and what happens when we leave church by stepping out of the building? Well, I think what, what, uh, what this booklet's trying to point out, what I'm trying to say is that church doesn't have to end when we step out of the building. And the church that we're part of is more than this service being in this physical building. As we go outside, church can continue, church can extend, and it would be good if as we went outside to morning tea, 
um, we continue to uh, to be in church, and uh, and so that's really what the, what this is about. So I'll just mention if you're a new here or a visitor or you don't know much about what happens when when the service finishes, we go around the corner here. Uh, there's a hall there, and I have checked. There's lots of yummy stuff there. Let me tell you, today there's lots of yummy stuff there. There'll be tea. Two drinkers, there'll be coffee, there'll be hot water, you know, it's, it's all there, and so please join us. Now I know some people will have to dash away, they've, they've got to work or they've got a family lunch or whatever, that's fine, but please if you can join us and extend the fellowship we have here, you get the chance there to talk to each other rather than just be talked at by me. So, um, so it's an opportunity uh, that we should take up uh, to not end church but to extend it over morning tea and to use that time not to talk necessarily about sport or the weather, but uh, perhaps what you heard in the sermon, or perhaps what you've read in the Bible this week, or perhaps an answered prayer, or perhaps a prayer request. Use that time in this sort of way. Okay, well let's now turn to our uh, passage which is in Romans 12, and I hope it'll come up on the screen, and you might like to follow in your Bible. And we might jump to verse 10 of Romans 12, because Romans 12 has a lot of uh, instructions about a lot of different things and I think at the end of verse 10 uh, which we might get in a sec end of verse 10 uh, there's a key which uh, unlocks the, um, the passage and so you see there at the bottom of the screen honour one another above yourselves so this uh, is a key idea I think the place of the other one another uh, the place relative to yourself or yourselves. So in all we do, we should consider others, not simply ourselves. And if you just look back at the beginning of that verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. So again, there's that idea of one another and the idea of love. And this whole series is mentioned about loving, loving your church. So it's all to do um, with love, the care we show for other people. So, uh, so if, we, uh, if we see that phrase, one another, one another, it also occurs earlier in verse 4. So let's go back up to verse 4. Uh, and that talks about the body of many members. So in verse 4, we say, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so uh, that's like the human body, I've got arms and legs, they do different things. I mean, I can walk on, I try to walk on my hands, but it's better if I use my legs for walking and my hands for gesticulating. We've got different uh, parts of our body that do different things, just as in the church we've got different people who do different things. And Paul spoke about this a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, where you can see just looking around, there are some people here who are uh, young, there are some people who are old, there are some who uh, have got hair, there are some who haven't got hair, there are uh, some who are men, some who are women, some are in masks, some are in glasses, some not. There are different people, uh, different members of the body, and with different um, skills and abilities. And we do not all have the same function. So in verse 5 we read, In Christ, though many, we form the one body, each member belongs to all the others. So that expression, uh, one another, or others, uh, occurs in verse 10, it occurs in verse 16, live in harmony with one another, and it occurs uh, in verse 5. We, each member belongs to all the others. We belong to one another. 
So, uh, so this idea of mutuality and relationship uh, comes out as we look at the next verses, verses 6 to 8. We might get um, verse 6 up there if we may, and the uh, but perfect. So this talks about gifts, and uh, it says we have been given different gifts. The different parts of the body have different gifts. And if you think of gifts, you might think of operational Christmas child, or you might think of opening something under the Christmas tree, and it might be, say, a bicycle or a scooter, or you might have been hoping for a pony, but um, it's something that is for you to enjoy. Uh, it's your gift that you've been given. Uh, and uh, these gifts are not really like that. Or you might have been given a box of chocolates, and so they've been given to you, but, you know, under sufferance, you give some to your sister, some to your brother, you know, it's a gift you can share, okay? So these gifts aren't really even like that. They're not something that you sort of can keep a bit of and give to someone else. These gifts are all directed to another person. So look at them. The first one is prophecy. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance uh, with your faith. So to, pro uh, to prophesy is to speak a word from God. And so you're speaking and communicating this word from God to someone else. You're not just receiving it yourself and keeping it. You are speaking a word for others to hear. It's an other person-directed gift. If we go to the next verse in chapter 7, there's a mention of serving. And like just by definition, serving is doing something for someone else. It's about waiting on someone or ministering to someone, assisting someone else. Uh, serving is directed to the other person. This is a gift we're given. We're given the gift to serve. The next one, teaching. Again, you don't have a teacher who just stands in an empty classroom or the point of a teacher is that there's a learner and that the teacher is helping the learner to learn. Uh, it's a gift for others. Encouragement uh, in the next verse. Encouragement, building up each other. And this is something we can easily do at morning tea. We can encourage one another. And uh, this idea of encouragement is actually picked up uh, in the study. If you do it in your group this week, you'll see these verses from other parts of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. I did mention this morning that this is the only one, the clear mention of coffee in the Bible, Hebrews. Anyway, Colossians, uh, Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. And Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. So we can do those things at morning tea. We can speak the truth in love. We can teach and admonish one another. We can encourage one another. Uh, that's something, that's a gift we've been given to use for others. And then giving is the next gift. So again, it's giving something away. Leading, you know, a leader leads others. Uh, a leader just doesn't uh, do something for themselves in, in a vacuum. A leader... Uh, leadership involves others, directing them, guiding them, uh, and here it says to do it diligently, showing mercy, something you do to another person, do it cheerfully. So I repeat, all these gifts are not gifts for us to unwrap and just um, have for ourselves. Uh, it's not something like uh, for Mother's Day you might get a spray tan or a, or a manicure um, that, you know, uh, it's not like for Father's Day uh, you might get a pair of socks or undies. Um, so, I just mentioned Father's Day is next Sunday. Um, so, it's not something you just have for yourself, for your personal use. It is something that is given to you for the use of the body to serve others. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, 
These are all things we are given for the benefit of others. So this idea of the benefit of others or looking beyond yourself is captured in the Old Testament reading from Leviticus about loving your neighbour. It's the same concept of love for someone else, your neighbour. Uh, the Bible teaches us, it's a key teaching over the scripture, that we should be concerned for our neighbour, we should love, uh, love our neighbour. And so in the reading from Leviticus, these phrases appeared, judge your neighbour fairly. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbour's life. Rebuke your neighbour frankly. And then crowning it all, the summary of it all, love your neighbour as yourself. Well, as I think most of you know, Jesus extended this idea of love of the neighbour to love of our enemies. And uh, Romans 12 is mostly about um, those in the body of Christ, you might say our friends, but it does mention uh, enemies. So in verse 14, for example, it says those who persecute you, and in verse 20 it mentions uh, your enemy. So we're not to act to these outsiders or people who might be persecuting us or fighting us. We're not to act to them in a different way. We're to act in the same way. We're to act to them in the way of love. So we come to verse 20, which is on the screen, fabulous, uh, which is the end of the passage. And it's actually a difficult verse. You see there, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, uh, give him something to drink. Uh, so far, so good. That's just love your enemy. Love your neighbour, love your enemy. And then this last part, in doing this, you'll hit burning coals on his head. Now, these are difficult words. Uh, how do we understand them? Well, those, those words, you see that's a quotation in verse 20. It's in the uh, inverted commas. Uh, it's a quotation from the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. So Paul here is quoting, uh, quoting Solomon. And Proverbs, chapter 25, uh, verse 21, says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. Okay? Fine, feed your enemy. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Again, fine. And then I'll skip a bit. And then, and the Lord will reward you. Fine. So if you provide food and drink to your enemy, uh, the Lord will reward you. And the bit I skipped was that uh, difficult bit at the end. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And there's the issue. Now, I think, I think it said, um, you won't do this, you, you won't do this action with the idea of putting burning coals on his head, but the, coal, the, the result of your action, your love, will be burning coals on your enemy's head. So what does it mean? Well, one view is that you are to heap pain and vengeance on your enemy, like hot coal, uh, and that seems a fairly, maybe a direct reading of the words, and it follows on from verse 19, which says, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And burning coals in the Old Testament are used to represent God's judgment or wrath. Psalm 11, uh, 6, on the wicked who will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. So, while there's that background of coals being uh, something that's uh, judgment, uh, wrath, uh, vengeance, uh, it doesn't seem to be what's intended here because the whole passage, as we've seen, has been about love. And uh, Paul's just said in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And then in verse 19, just before this, do not take revenge. So it doesn't seem that's, uh, that's uh, the best interpretation. Another interpretation of these burning coals on the heads is that 
by doing good to someone, you'll shame them into changing their ways. So your good will produce remorse and contrition, and the fiery coals are like a blush of shame. Uh, it's been paraphrased this way. In this way, you will make him feel a burning sense of shame. Okay, so the coals are that idea of blush or a, a red, the redness of shame. Uh, and Luther even expressed that the coals are uh, benefits or favours are good things you put on the person. And so doing good to your enemy uh, may surprise and embarrass him to change his ways. And some combine this idea. Here's another, uh, a commentary says this, Paul cites Proverbs 25, 21 to 22 to encourage believers to show their enemies undeserved kindness which might elicit a response of shame and perhaps repentance. This approach leaves room for God to render punishment if he chooses. So that's combining those two ideas. But a third idea is that the burning coals are to purge. And someone at 8 a.m. told me, this is exact, as soon as they said burning coals, they thought of um, like a blast furnace or, or metallurgy. So uh, the firing burns off the dross. And you might say it's to melt the enemy's heart. The fire melts, uh, melts the heart of the enemy. Uh, and causes positive change. And there's a little poem here by Samuel Wesley. So artists melt the sullen ore of lead by heaping coals of fire upon its head. In the kind warmth, the metal learns to glow and pure from dross, the silver run below. So, um, so that's that idea. Uh, now, there's a fourth idea that comes from a custom in ancient Egypt where apparently to express sorrow someone would put coals on a basket on their head. So uh, one commentator who talks about this is William Classen who says, coals of fire is a dynamic symbol of change of mind which takes place as a result of a deed of love. So it was a sign of repentance and so by being kind to your enemy, the enemy will repent. Now, I heard a fifth version, someone after the 8 a.m. service told me that someone had told them in Jerusalem or somewhere a custom that when you went and visited someone on a cold night in Jerusalem, uh, you took your little brazier to keep warm and then um, your host would give you food and drink and then when they sent you off home, they put some coals from their fire onto your brazier and you carried home so then uh, you, know, you were nice and warm when you got home. I only heard that this morning, can't vouch for that one, but there's, a, there's another interpretation. So whichever way we understand this, though, it's clear what we're to do. We're to um, feed our enemy or, um, or slake their thirst, we're to act towards them in love, and it may be that then they, uh, they, ret they repent and turn as a result. And F.F. Bruce has put it this way, the best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. So the last verse of this chapter, which we didn't have read, but carries on this idea, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, so don't let your enemy have the better of you, but overcome evil with good. So don't respond to evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, uh, the, the, um, the sort of metaphor we've been following here is to do with the body. As, I, as I've mentioned in verse 5, we heard about uh, that in Christ, uh, we are each a member belonging to all the others. And uh, I'll just mention this is also comes up in this in the study booklet and it appears in many places uh, in the Bible. So a couple of weeks ago Paul preached on it from 1 Corinthians 12 where it's set out in some detail. In Colossians 3.15 uh, we read, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And Ephesians 4.15 
I read earlier, speaking the truth of love, that goes on to say we will grow to become mature body, become the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So our head as individuals should be Christ if we're Christians. That's what makes a Christian someone who has Christ as their head or as their, their boss, their governor. Our head as a body of individuals here who make up the church is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. So our actions uh, here in church now, as we leave at morning tea, uh, should reflect that. We should act to the benefit of others. All right, well, let me sum up. Um, coffee's not the main thing. Christ is the main thing. But through coffee or through morning tea, we can serve Christ. God should be our top priority, and then comes our neighbour. In other words, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Well, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and also go in peace to love and serve one another.